Hello. Hi. Welcome to issue 20 of Scout and Birdie. In the shadows. I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Anna Wolf. So we chose In the Shadows as our theme for this issue because we're going through a bit of a season change. The autumnal equinox. Yes. And the days are getting a little bit shorter and getting darker earlier. And we've got this overwhelming chill that's hit the air. And also it's October, so it just kind of feels like we get a little spooky. (laughs) Yes. When we've been recording for Scout and Birdie, we've been recording at the time of day where it starts to get darker a lot faster. And when I've been walking home from Jen's house to mine, I have to walk between two graveyards, like right between the two of them. And on either side, you can see graves and these like really spooky and shadowy mausoleums and structures. And I actually saw like a porcelain doll that had been placed next to one of the graves. And I thought, wow, how fitting that we are currently working on the theme of In the Shadows and everything is so spooky and shadowy around me. Yeah, as the artists were exploring the theme, it really took on a tone of exploring what is hidden aspects of our identity that we don't often share with others or are maybe less comfortable to be sharing with others and exposing things that are usually kept in the shadows. So it's been a really fascinating one to work on and we are so excited to share it with all of you at home. So please enjoy issue 20 in the shadows. Okay, first up in the issue, we have Elliot Bessman, and Elliot is such a talented storyteller. They use such specific moments of sensory details to really bring you into the stories that they're sharing. Yeah, they're a beautiful storyteller, and we are so excited to have them back. They were previously in our Diving In issue, and we are so excited to share with you their piece, Say My Name. The sound of the city hall metal detector alarm makes my heart stop in my throat. Every sharp object that I own flashes through my head, as if the fantasy dagger that I bought at a Ren fair when I was too young to know better has somehow fallen into my messenger bag. Right. Belt. Holding my pants up with one hand, I stumble through the security gate a second time, and then I head for the elevators. My hand darts into the pocket of my coat, and I count through the items by touch. Wallet. Keys phone, passport, copy of my birth certificate, social security card. Possibly overkill. I button my coat back up to the neck as I ride the elevator to the fourth floor. When the doors open, I see people are standing in curved lines in front of a row of desks, DMV style. Frustrated children tug on their parents' hands as their little souls, still too young to understand what's going on, feel themselves start to be crushed by bureaucracy. My nervous eyes hunt for some sign of my people. Okay, undercuts, flower tattoos, and piercings in weird places. The undercuts almost never leave me wrong. 
I have found the queers. I step up to the cluster of undercuts, and in a bare whisper, pitching my voice down as if I have anything to hide from these people, I say, are you the ones helping with the name change paperwork? Even when they're not reverse gendering their original name, the names that trans people pick for themselves are often not too creative. I personally know two Aidens, three Quins, far too many Sams and Alexes. A surprising number just Google up top hundred baby names and scroll until something hits the right tone. Of course, I'm a little showboat, so I'm not going to do something as mundane as picking a name off a BuzzFeed list. Though two separate people did send me a link to most popular names of 1890, because my preferred aesthetic is Oscar Wilde on a casual Friday. I assumed picking a name was supposed to be this big, significant moment in my life. I should pick something meaningful, maybe the name of a fictional hero or a mentor. Instead, I get an impulse buy. For complicated nerd reasons, I'd been using Ellen Nigma as a pseudonym when putting fake names on sign-up sheets to get free stuff. The first time I went to a trans support group, I panicked just outside the door, reverse-gendered the name, and went in the door as Elliot. You can't go around calling yourself trans-masculine when you're towing a name like Anna behind you, right? I came out at work in October, um, first to the only non-binary person in the office, then to the human resources department and my team in marketing, and then at the all-staff Monday meeting following my official name change and video on Facebook. And work was fine with it. I wasn't the first one in the office to do something squirrely with my gender. My email name was swapped almost immediately. Nobody misgendered me with anything other than a slip of the tongue. My coworker, whose religion forbids physical contact with non-familial members of the opposite sex, politely dissuaded me from hugging her after that, which is an unusual kind of respect for my gender identity, but I'll take it. But I couldn't get used to the new name. I dreaded seeing it, hearing it. I kept thinking, have I fucked myself? Will this be the name I'll have to use now, whether I want it or not? Is it ever going to sound comfortable? I can't change it now. If I change my mind, I'll have to wear it until I stop working here. Why couldn't I just keep up my secret agent identity and not let work know that I've changed anything? Right, because I have like four coworkers following me on Facebook, and I can't change my name on Facebook without everyone knowing about it, and I can't not change my name on Facebook because it's starting to really confuse new people following me, and the new trend is for people you just met to attach themselves to an account that tells them everything about your life in four clicks, and lord, I hate Facebook. When I came out to HR, they told me there's only so much they can change as long as my other name's still legally attached to me. And I told her it was fine, and I'll change it eventually because that's what I figured she wanted to hear. It's what people expect. Nobody is going to take you seriously when your checks are still made out to Anna. The legal volunteer at City Hall walks me through filling out name, place of birth, social security number, all the little details that root me in government databases without telling me a damned thing about who I am. They're telling me about the waiting period, the surprisingly large filing fee. Side note. Apparently, your new name has to sue your old name, legally speaking, to get it changed. As a Jew with anxiety, I've always been deeply convinced of my own guilt. Taking myself to court is a new level, though. Eventually, every line is filled out. I turn to face the row of desks. The edges of the paper crinkle under my fingers. My credit card is pressed against my palm like a hidden knife, ready to deliver several hundred dollars for the privilege of being an Elliot full-time. The person with the undercut smiles and 
offers to walk me up there if I'm uncomfortable going alone. They've done this a few times before. And I can barely get the words out to respond. Okay, okay. Breathe, girl. I mean, boy. I mean, whatever the fuck. Just need to man up about this. Just walk up there and... I flee the building, papers in my bag. They'll stay riding around in there for two more months, waiting for the moment when I have enough nerve, and eventually I just throw them out. I can't do it. I can't fucking do it. Anyone who's met me knows I'm a hoarder. I'll keep things around until even electrical tape can't keep them in a state of barely functional. The majority of my furniture comes from things I find in the alley behind my apartment building. And you want me to just throw away a perfectly serviceable name? It's mine. I don't want to shed it. I just want to put it on a shelf where I can look at it whenever I want, even when I'm not using it. I want all my names, just like I want all the genders, all the pronouns, the entire fucking buffet. I'm a greedy son and or daughter of a bitch, okay? It's the one thing about myself I'm still sure of. The whole what name do I use at work situation resolves itself six months later anyway, when my organization loses a third of its funding and a quarter of its staff shortly thereafter. I'm sitting in Zanzibar Cafe, staring at vistaprint.com with my resume open in another window as I try to put together a design for my business card. I've been sitting here for an hour exploiting Zanzibar's free refill policy and Vistaprint's one-day half-off sale, typing and retyping my information in various fonts and templates. Let's be real, it's not the fonts that are the problem. It's what's in the fonts. I can't do Elliot. If someone does a background check or calls any jobs before my most recent one, they're going to get a resounding Elliot who. I can't do Anna, because if I walk in all Elliot'd up and tell them that their pronoun and name assumptions are going to need to do a sharp right turn before we move on with the rest of the interview, it's not going to give a good first impression. And I can't do a paragraph-long explanation of my trip from Anna to Elliot with a stopover in Aaron and how I don't want to give up the part of me that's been called Anna for three decades, even though that was never fully me, and how I've never gone through Facebook and deleted every photo of me with long hair or a name so feminine it both starts and ends with A, because I have a hard enough time remembering my past as it is, and how I'm so fucking sick of frantically picking out whatever answer gets me the least attention when someone does those damn go-around-the-circle-and-say-your-name-and-pronouns exercises. That's not going to fit in the character limit without breaking it down to the next line and making the formatting all funky. Anna isn't me, but it's mine. I don't know how to explain that in the span of a single name. Hell, I've been going at this for about 1,700 words, and if you guys know what's going on, you're already one up on me. I type and delete and type again, and then finally, finally, something feels right. I reach for the keyboard. A. Period. Elliot. Bessman. Elliot front and center. Anna, hanging out quietly in the corner, not making a fuss, but there when I need it. Calm, polite font, not too quiet, not too garish. And I slap some serifs on there for good measure, because I'm classy like that. Next up in the issue, we have Jay Van Ort. And meeting Jay was such a wonderful happenstance. I was in a 
reading that was for Scout and Birdie artist Hal Baum and got to meet Jay there and work with them a little bit. And then I was introduced to their writing by Nair Na, who is a beautiful musician that we've had on. And we have been so thrilled to work with them. It's always cool when Scout and Birdie artists are working together and when we get to meet new people through past artists. Yeah, it's a lovely little connection. So we're so excited to share with you Jay's piece, The Saboteur. don't have to give me a name, but if I had one, if you wanted one to give me, I'd say, call me a saboteur. While I burn and steal, I am no arsonist nor a thief. Sometimes I am an assassin, but on my own dime, my own time, my own fight, and I work slow like hair loss. Or lead. Call me saboteur while I lick my wounds. See, I don't burn bridges. Instead, the saboteur cuts unbearable questions into the ropes and moves along. When I return, and I will, with my fondness for places and people I did not mean to leave behind me, with the rot of the rope unbearable answers, a misplaced step, and I plummet. See, I'm a saboteur. Not a soldier with a brave ascent into the battle, nor a psychopath. My weapons refine. My poisons sharpen. I lick my wounds, and I sharpen. I have many tools here. Look in my toolbox. A deception. A trick. A lie. My newest one, though, one I'm refining and learning well to use, is the truth. I mean, I just hold high standards and run when I'm disappointed. I make art, be SOS flares out of my memories, dare ghosts out of yellow photo scene of your face and your face and your face, your faces, your faces, your faces. It's so hard to face you when all I've ever done has failed you. So I leave traps behind me and walk slow for the ghosts so I never have to look them in the eye. Call me saboteur. I mean, I don't leave. I don't run. But I leak into the ground. My gore, my guts, my gashes, my ghosts, bones, butt, brains like liquid. But then skin only. Skin only. And it's a fine trap. You try to lean on me and poof. You've fallen into the moist, warm grass, and the fog rises, and my skin has crumpled under you like bad origami, and now you're left with only a paper friend, and your wits about you. See, it's an accumulation of experience, because I could not do that before. I could only move along, leaving the ghosts and the traps in my wake, but the skin, the beginning of a masterpiece... Doing my deeds, doing my harm, doing my learning all in secret on the inside of a forest, on the inside of myself. But now, finally, after years, I am shaping together a shape. And I have been learning to keep it together. 
And soon, soon you'll be so proud, so pleased to have my full shape, and I will no longer be a saboteur. I could be a writer, or a botanist, or a surgeon. I can stand for causes and be in conflict instead of leaving shadows behind to do my dirty work. But most importantly, most importantly, and most incredibly, I can be a friend. I can be your friend, and I can face you and make you lunch while you tell me of your problems and come to your shows and we can text memes and jokes because when I am no longer a saboteur, I can have a sense of humor and laugh at myself. And I can write you my apologies and tell you my faults and know that I can't make up for any of it ever. Because when the saboteur is no longer the saboteur, they are not the doctor or the nurse. They are not an actor or a counselor. They are nobody with nothing but a box full of nasty tricks, a herd of limping ghosts trying to catch up to them, and a blank space where my name goes. Right, we're here with Patrick Buddy, who is here to talk to us about his new EP, Perfect Posture. He'll be sharing two songs with us today. The first is Window, and the second is Older. Thanks so much for being here, Patrick. Thank you for having me. This is such a lovely nook. <laughs> I'm glad you like it in the nook. It's very fun in here. Scott and Birdie recording studio nook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Patrick, tell us a little bit about your new EP. Um, sure. So, the EP is a project which is entitled Perfect Posture. That is uh, the name, the pseudonym of these songs, which is my personal music project. I have other music projects, but not one that is reserved for my own self-exploration and sonic exploration. It's where I have sort of the chance to uh, create the entire sonic palette and play around and obsess over things. Um, And it's a different way of working than in any of the more collaborative band settings that I've worked in. We've had other um, musical artists talk about this before, of saying that when they break away from a band that they're working with and they actually get the chance to do something on their own, they're sometimes surprised by like what comes through in their work when they're not in that collaborative space, but more in like a self-reflecting space. Has that been true to your experience? It has been. It's interesting because music was a very personal and solitary thing for me for most of my life. I never really thought I would be doing it professionally, but it was always probably the most personal thing I had in my life, whether listening to or just writing or tinkering. So I always worked alone until I found a group, and a group was the only thing that actually made me see anything through to completion because I just 
had a hard time feeling like what I was doing was up to par for my early years, which I probably could say it wasn't. (laughs) Objectively, it wasn't good yet. And so working with other people taught me so much. Now that I've gone through that process, I think I'm able to take something that is purely my own idea and actually see it through to completion after, Mm. you know, five years of being unable to do so. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and you were saying that you went to school for theater. This is true, yeah. We also went to school for theater (laughs) and then had that sort of like switch moment as well of, of graduating with that and then realizing that there's like another art form that we were wanting to pursue and, and how those, the lessons you got in theater school sort of inform what you're doing, but you have to sort of teach yourself this new, this new area that, you know, you didn't have like the, the benefit of going to school for, which is like an interesting place to be in. Yeah. So I'm a total extrovert and I think in high school starting to do theater, I just got all the good feelings that come from groups and collaboration and ensemble and you learn these really valuable skills, but they also just happen to make you feel good and like everything's taken care of for you. And that kind of carried through college. But on the other end of college and when you kind of have that like community diaspora (laughs) after school, I was in a spot where I'm only left with myself again in a way that I hadn't been since (laughs) really early in high school before I found a group of friends I could always be hanging around and feeling supported by. So being back alone and quiet, I had to sort of reckon with things I don't think I had thought about or addressed, or I just had put off being comfortable working as a solo artist. And it's been really gratifying and really probably one of the more challenging things I've ever done Mm -hmm. to re-engage with that. And yeah, you can do that easier, I think, with poetry or music you can craft it all alone in in your bedroom or in a studio and my friends who are still in theater now or who do more of it the challenge with that medium is you don't really get to practice unless the group is all there with you so now I'm very grateful for my position because I can do it whenever I want (laughs) Um, that's important so what does your artistic process look like now while you're putting together this debut EP. What did that look like for you? Yeah, so the Perfect Posture songs span a range of time. The songs that I write are usually born out of some very intense, overwhelming feelings. And otherwise, I find I don't really write well or at all. I do other things. I like play music, but I don't necessarily put pen to paper. So usually they are fairly loaded with a thing that I like truly can't shake or grapple with. And that would be something, if I feel that way, either I would pen something down and hope that I'll find music for it later, or in its best case, sit down and, you know, in a couple hours, just finish something, you know, raw and sloppy. There's probably a couple songs on this EP that were written in a couple hours and a couple songs that were written in a couple years. So (laughs) I I prefer the former. (laughs) For Window and Older, what was the case with the process in writing those? Were they ones that took 
years to work on, or did they sort of come out of you in one sitting? Yeah, well, I thought about those songs specifically pertaining to that theme of this episode of In the Shadows, because the project that I originally envisioned, I wanted to have a fun synth pop thing, because like I love hearing strange sounds, and I love things that are poppy and relatable and, and bring joy to people. And I like expressing challenging, you know, vulnerable things in a way that can be fun for other people to digest. So I thought I was just going to put out an album of, you know, fairly fun, you know, love songs that would be one thing. And as I was working on the batch of songs that became this window EP. I think that's the title at the moment. It's not out yet, so I can always change it. <laughs> um, the material started to shift. I was not really writing in such a fun way anymore. <laughs> I was writing in a way that was more dealing with themes of patience <laughs> and self-exploration and spirituality. And none of that is like sexy or poppy, but is what I felt like I wanted to be doing. So the two songs that close out the EP are these two that I'm sharing in the episode are both things that came later, probably written in the last year or so. And they did come out of sounds first. So just sitting with uh, like a sequencer and a laptop and looping and repeating different sounds that were either soothing or therapeutic to me. I enjoyed hearing them, and I enjoyed hearing them looped for eternity. <laughs> and, and then I would start to think about what I was feeling and what I wanted to say, starting in that case with sound and, and a groove that I wanted to be in for a while, and then thinking about what I wanted to say once I was sort of in that, um, in that groove. Yeah. I find your music to be so immersive. And I think that's probably because of the way you build this soundscape in these two songs. It's very, very lovely. And I am so excited to share it with everyone at home. It comes from a really vulnerable place. And so thank you for sharing that with us and for taking the time to come and speak with us. Mm -hmm. oh. And if people listen to your songs, which they will. They both. <laughs> and they love them, which they will. Mm -hmm. uh, how can they follow up with more of your yeah. music and more of your, your work? They can follow up by hanging on tight and waiting uh, for <laughs> what should be a release either in the end of this year or, you know, it could be early next year. Um, I play in a couple bands at the moment. I play in a folk rock group called... Friends of the Bog, where I've done some writing for. So you can find Friends of the Bog at friendsofthebog.com or on our Bandcamp page. So that's a place where I'm actively making music. I also run a small record label called Preserve Records, and we have a Tumblr, which is preserverecords.tumblr.com. So there are lots of other non perfect posture related songs <laughs> that you can uh, listen to while I just finish up with artwork and all the other boring logistical things that <laughs> come with putting out some music. Well, we can't wait to hear the entire EP. And oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah. Thank you.
Everyone at home, please enjoy a special exclusive preview of Window. show their face everybody knows this place God will never show their face Next up in the issue is Jerome Riley. And Jerome has been a part of multiple Scout and Birdie issues. And they're someone that we always look forward to working with again. Yeah, we always love working with Jerome. 
So with that, we'll take you into Jerome's piece. We were kids. We were kids when we met, docile creatures eager to beget change, yet unable to forego the pains of a youth subjected to rage. So we colored our bodies with sin, hoping to release the demons let in. We'd color our bodies with sin, praying to displace the torment from within. We'd color our bodies with sin, desperately trying to renounce the guilt ascribed to this skin. But colors fade and faces change and bodies age, and we learn to reclaim our sins and to adorn them with glitter worn without trigin. We are prideful, but knowledge is fleeting, and pride is elusive, and coloring brings addiction. And colors fade, and faces change and bodies age, and life must be sustained. And so colors fade, once vibrant and thriving with possibility, now senile and clutching, eagerly to a skewing reality. My dearest, you will always be my fave. But colors fade, and faces change, and bodies age, and life must be sustained. We were kids when we met, docile, eager, wanting to beget. Next up in the issue, we have Kathleen Kinlan. And you'll remember Kathleen from our October issue last year, where she shared a piece called Evolution of a Ghost. And this year, we are looking forward to sharing her piece, The Half Place. One, astral projection is a powerful out-of-body experience during which one's soul separates from the physical body and traverses the astral plane, Gaia.com. The futon in my childhood home presses indignantly against my skin, scratchy, lightly caved in from years of my curled resting body. I'm awake, but my eyes won't open. I hear a sound like crinkling plastic shopping bags next to my left ear. I jolt upright and slip out of my torso. What the fuck? I'm a mist of myself, only attached to my legs. I focus on my breathing. Is this lucid dreaming? I turn my eyes, if you can call them eyes, forward. They land on a dark figure at the top of my stairs. No face, no expression. His entire body is lazy black smoke drifting within the outline of a man. His limbs have the stillness of a cat preparing to pounce. 
The faceless face twists toward me. Follow. I slam myself back into my torso and wake with a sharp inhale. The reason that sleep paralysis happens is that the body immobilizes during REM sleep, and it is the time during sleep when you have dreams. Those with sleep paralysis wake up while the brain is still in REM sleep mode and the body is still immobilized. Simply health. 2. The doppelganger is a word still used today to refer to a person that is physically or behaviorally similar to another person. They were generally considered to be omens of bad luck or even signs of impending death. Ancientorigins.net I'm awake again. Cement arms pressing through my couch, superglued eyelids. I can hear my roommate Laura scuffling around her room at the other end of our apartment, but my sight is stuck in this half place. There's a second Laura sitting directly in front of me. She sprawls across my favorite deep gold chair. Did you have a good nap? She smiles. I didn't realize I'd fallen asleep. Did you dream? Am I dreaming now? I can still hear Laura shifting furniture in her room. Kathleen, have you heard of the spirits that look like people you know? Her smile begins to widen grotesquely past the edges of her cheeks. I try to scream, really build a scream inside the corpse from which I'd come unstitched. She's laughing now, a low, fat chuckle. Her fingers begin to dissolve into black smoke. Finally, I feel the tiniest rumble in my body's throat. I wake up crying. Hypnagogia and sleep paralysis often cause fear, more so than in sleep paralysis during hypnopompia. Common hypnopompic experiences include the sensation of falling and the feeling of a presence in the room. Sleepassociation.org 3. An incubus is a lusty male demon who satisfies his sexual urges by attacking women while they sleep. He takes precautions to keep her from interfering. He might put her in a trance so that she is unable to wake up. Mythology.net Sweat is collecting between the arch of my lower back and my comforter. My rotating fan is struggling to beat the July heat wave back from my naked body. I'm paralyzed again. I know what this is now. I just need to stay calm for a few minutes and I'll be awake. My fan suddenly carries the noise of a crowd cheering from far away. I imagine the joyful cacophony traveling to me from a shirtless band from the 60s. Pause. The crowd cheers again, closer this time. I can almost smell the impotent weed. Pause. A deafening roar from an animal I've never heard before. This isn't real. He's standing at the edge of my bed, all black smoke and stillness. He seems docile today. Sex. I thought it this time. The strangest hypothetical popped into my head and he heard. It's too late now. He's crawling over me slowly. I feel him slide inside of me, pulsing like a jellyfish. I wake up wet. Just why or how it happens isn't clear. Clearly, an episode of sleep paralysis can be scary, which has led to some unorthodox theories. 
Research shows that people in countries as diverse as China, East Africa, Mexico, Newfoundland, and the United States have long believed that paralysis is caused by demons, witches, or other supernatural creatures sitting on their chests and sometimes trying to have sex with them. WebMD. Why are we all sharing these hallucinations? Why are we all sharing these hallucinations? Why are we all sharing these hallucinations? Right, we're here with Sarah Schultz, who is here sharing their series of cartoons, Possum. And you'll remember Sarah from the last time they were on Scout and Birdie in our issue of Diving In, where they shared their series of Comic Bun Bun. Yeah. Welcome. Hi. It's <laughs> nice to be back. It's so good to have you back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, last time you were on... In Comic Bun Bun, Possum was a character in that universe, and now we're exploring the universe of Possum on their own. Tell us a little bit about that journey for Possum. Yeah, so Bun Buns are so much about me observing the world and observing people around me, and the Possum character was always sort of my character, looking in at the Bun Buns, but the more... I started working through my own life, like through this comic, I just kept on noticing that I was doing more and more possum comics and less and less bun buns. And I was just like, this comic's going to become about possum unless I break him off of that. Let me just give a quick refresher for anyone who is not familiar with bun buns. Bun buns are uh, a couple of two bunnies and they have like all of these sweet and intense and like emotional moments together as a couple going throughout the world and possum is their their buddy who comes into their world yeah <laughs> yeah that's good I, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed hearing you kind of like like concisely describing what that comic is it's like Did that feel accurate it felt really accurate <laughs> i was like wow like, that said better than i would ramble <laughs> um but yeah so i felt that like possum since it's so much like my navigating of the world is a lot more complex than the bun buns it's not just about what i'm observing it's what i'm like feeling and thinking through and so i just felt if i'm going to preserve the integrity of all of those characters like possum needs like his own space and so i decided on a completely different style a completely different like world that possum lives in outside of the buns and yeah, so that's where that possum exists. Um, the world of possum is very bright and colorful um, and filled in, and bun buns are done primarily in black and white, right? Yeah. Is there a thought process behind that? Is there a reason that the possum's world is so much more colorful? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the bun buns are an ideal. The bun buns, like, their experiences, even if they are, like, sort of real they're idealistic experiences which makes them very flat in some ways like life's not ideal like, <laughs> um, but then like also that's what's beautiful about life is that there are like sort of these like pains and hardships and I think a lot of what possum is about is like 
trying to navigate those and still find beauty in those moments anyway. And so it's I feel like the way I color the possum cartoons is like kind of dreamy, kind of it's like this mixture of like kind of gritty earth tones and then like these sort of kind of like magical pastel colors like combined together to be like this like oh like life's like a little dirty and rough but like there's like something like kind of like beautiful and soft about the edges Mm -hmm. Um, and there's moments of like really intense vibrant colors like I'm thinking of the sunset in mm -hmm. in one of the possum pages yes (laughs) it's very cool to see the difference and the evolution of like the they're in the same universe, but their worlds have two different lenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think, too, whenever you kind of look and compare how you navigate the world, and then you look and see someone else, and it's just like, like you see those people as, like, whole in some way. Like you simplify them, though, like because your own thoughts, and you're so close to them, right? And then, like, they're kind of, like it's just like all too much right in front of your face but then like people at a distance when you like kind of like see their experience of the world like you have to flatten it there's like you know like and the bun buns are such these like kind of quick like like one panel like is like the entirety of that like it's like not any more complicated than this one shot of that like those two characters lives and so it is sort of this outsider sort of like, oh, this is what their experience of the world is. And I had always wanted to do the bun buns in these sort of one shots where it's like, oh, this life is very simple, like an idealistic. And it's not like there's no real delving into like their thought, complete thought processes or like how they came to the conclusions they came to. Like It's just like a very quick. Yeah, they're sort of one in the same, the bun buns. I can't, I'm not sure if I would be able to tell them apart from each other. Like they're, they're sort of this entity that they have to be together mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. to be existing. Where possum is much more, you know, an individual and experiencing like individual thoughts where you mm-hmm. can't have an individual thought if you're like two bunnies. Yeah. Coexisting together. <laughs> And the possum has relationships with characters outside of the buns, mm-hmm. where like the buns are like like sometimes seen interacting with other characters, but not in the same way where possums like obviously navigating a world with like a, a large cast of characters, mm-hmm. where with the buns just kind of revolve around each other a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And you were saying before that um, you connect really deeply with the possum, and the possum is like. Uh, going through the world very much in a way that you go through the world and that you think about things. Do you feel like moments in your own life inform creating moments that the possum is going through? Or is it almost the other way around of like the possum experiences things and then you sort of like have that mindset? No, I mean, a lot of the comics are verbatim conversations I have had with people. (laughs) Like it is like, I mean, it is very autobiographical. Like I will have an experience and then I will go draw and paint the possum, like having that experience. Um, and so it's like, it's weird because it's very emotionally draining in a way that the bun buns weren't because Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden I was like, Oh, this is my actual life. When I put this comic out in the world, this comic is actually about me and someone else having an interaction that happened. And then it's kind of like funny and weird. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Oh, like, um, and it's like kind of beautiful and cute sometimes where like one of my friends like like read the one comic and it's the one where like there's a cat sitting at the bar giving like the possum some advice about like an interaction that he's going to have with someone else. 
And then, like, when I was talking to that friend, I was just like, that was you. Like, you were that person. And they were just like, I wondered, but, like, I wasn't sure. And they were just like, I was, like, kind of felt really flattered. But, like, you know, like, and it's like, it's a cute, you know. I can kind of, like, share these, like, intimate, like, conversations I have with people in, like, a way that, like, makes them feel good about themselves. Or, like, like, like I don't know. Like, that feels nice to me. Mm-hmm. That, like... I don't know, like, a lot of the things that Possum goes through, I think, are, like, so, like, deeply personal to me that, like, sometimes there's, like, a little bit of fear of throwing it out in the world, but I also, like, try to handle it in a way that's, like, honest, but also, like, kind. Um. Totally. Yeah. That's exactly how it comes across as, like, Possum is surrounded by these beautiful, supportive characters that really lift them up. And that possum is, like, going through these, like, profound, big thoughts Mm -hmm. that could feel really isolating or um, upsetting, and that there there tends to be, like, a connection at some point in each comic where possum is, like, grounding themselves in, I need to remember that that I have people around me and that there are people supporting me, or different moments like that where possum Mm -hmm. is bringing themselves back into into the world and reminding themselves. It's really lovely. They're so, so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that, like, the more personalized pieces are, I feel like the more we connect with them. Yeah, we get really excited. Because I see, you know, myself and parts of Jen inside of inside of these comics as well, and mm-hmm. I think they're just so relatable and lovely and raw and beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's really cool because it's, it's one of those things where, like, the kind of, like, the experience of, like, living and, like, kind of, like, like, there's, like, a trauma in, like, navigating life, and I think, like, it's, like, often untalked about that, like, just, like, living and existing and, like, being able to, like, navigate that is hard, and, like, one of my friends, like, said at one point that, I can't remember who they took it from, but that, like, you can't control a lot in life, like, you can't control your circumstances, you can't necessarily control, like, um, where you are or what's happening, but, like, you can control, like, how you respond to it and like your attitude towards it. And I think, I think sometimes the possum is me trying to remind myself that through like everything, like I can choose to like find like the beauty in things and like not in like a cheesy way where like, Oh, everything's going to be okay. But in a way where you're like, yeah, the world's not like hard, but like it's hard for everyone. And like, if we can like be real and share that with each other, then like it can also be beautiful. It feels really therapeutic <laughs> to like just be able to like put that out there. It feels therapeutic to read them too. It's like all these friendly reminders from the possum that to be we kind all to need. yourself yeah. and yeah, to support your friends and we all need a little bit more possum in our life. Yeah, <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. And if people want to follow possum. Where can they do that? Yeah, so I am making Possum its own Instagram. Yeah, it is Possum it's Instagram. A, it's a closed Instagram, so you're gonna have to request. But I'll accept you. I mean, <laughs> I'll accept like pretty much anyone that wants to join it. But if I, you follow Scout and Birdie, then you'll know that that person is in with the in crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, I think Possum does go to places that are really personal to me, and I think that, like, putting that out there, like, it is, like, a like a, 
group of people that I want to be following that is a group of people that I feel comfortable with. And so, but yeah, I'm not going to, like, I will accept all the requests. Possum's all about acceptance. (laughs) Make sure to go on Instagram as well and follow Comic Bun Bun and Mm -hmm. see Sarah's other amazing work. Yes. And to see this series, please go to scoutandbirdie.com and check out the beautiful, vibrant world of possum. All right, last up in the issue is David Stobie. David Stobie, you'll remember, has been on many issues of Scout and Birdie, and he is our favorite friend to read poetry with in a coffee shop. (laughs) Exactly. That sums him up. (laughs) (laughs) We are so excited to share with you David's piece, In the Dream Last Night. Isaac Newton is on the phone with Nikola Tesla, wrapping himself in the cord, like my sister with her hair did in the 90s. His eyes are to the window, and his crown is to the wall. His body is hot like it's sleeping, and he's twirling his finger like a piston. He invited me because he can't be on his own. The three of us made plans last week, because Tesla's in town. He prefers walking, not flying, and he loves the sound of the rain. He likes Newton for his eyes. He told me he could love him but is hesitant for many reasons. How electric, I think. The rounds of a spin cycle, the lint in the trap, the water in the pot, and before he even shows, Newton is snoring in the still of this rainy night. And drunk as I've been, I'm standing behind the fogging glass door glancing at my watch. Watch how the curves become pacific, how electric is the universe, throwing curveballs like rain with the lightning in the sky and his wet Parisian coat could be Dracula. He was counting his steps and splashing through the puddled parking lot across from Newton's house, over the curb and up the stoop and to the door. It looks like my apartment. How heavy are your clothes, Nikola Tesla? I ask as you shake off your coat. I ask as you pour the dark into a mug. It's earth rotating inside like a carousel, as the dryer does, fluttering in between who you are and what we call you. The dollars, and since we are eating for cheap, this broken baguette, here, This is for you and your pigeon, the gray one who's cooing in the dryer with your wet Parisian coat by your green paper cranes. She's hovering at its center, flapping like an angel as they spin and fall around her. She's watching it spin out addictions. Your coffee sits there, steam dies, and Newton's in the basement drifting in, drifting out. I told him to pace himself. I shake my head. I should have said stop. There needs to be a healthier system for dealing with dreams. We need more Aldi. A middleman of a thousand chains. You know, Nick, you said that you wish love wouldn't feel like an addiction, and I wake up from my stupor, and I drive to see myself with my hair and the flakes in my beard in the morning of the front window where I put the carts, where I'm breaking the silence, the camels packed behind the Walmart. Jerome, my friend with the fuck you fascist pin, mentions you, Nick. He inhales its dark poison, lets it flutter up his lip and maneuver through his nose ring. He brings you back to life. He says, Nikola Tesla. And I want your drug too. 
you're alive at this Walmart now, and even this Dunkin' coffee in the styrofoam cup is so happy to know that you aren't taking care of him. And I look at the street lamp like it's profound, like it's going to wax some poetry. How electric, I think. Humanity and romantics built this thing. Humanity brought you to light, and how romantic it is how little you earned. You loved a pigeon, and it defied everything Newton's drunk ass couldn't speak to. And that is love, I guess. I thought out loud. Jerome laughs like my drunk Aunt Jess, and so I add, loving something isn't normal. It isn't rational. Loving a pigeon, or anything really. And he replies, I love monster. I love dip. I love truck. How electric, I think. How lovable our drugs can be. And in the dream last night, I dreamt of you, Nick. Jerome showed me what it is I'm a part of. A dream where everyone is on drugs. And while you left in the dream last night, you told me to go on too. You said, if you care, you'll know what's good for you. If you don't, it doesn't matter. That's the end of our issue. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to stay connected with Scout and Birdie in between issues, make sure to go on to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and like us and follow us. Be sure to go to scoutandbirdie.com and check out Sarah Schultz's series of cartoons, Possum. You can also learn more about each of the artists there and find where you can keep up with each of them. If you are an artist and would like to be featured in an upcoming issue of Scout and Birdie, go on to scoutandbirdie.com, click on the submission tab, and share with us your stuff. I'm Anna Wolf, And I'm Jennifer Keel, and we're going to play you out with another song by Patrick Buddy called Older. We'll see you next time with issue 21, Thin Ice. Bye! Bye! Just like my father, I'm not getting richer, I'm not growing fonder, I'm spending my money, I'm wishing you wanted.